when I was serving in College Station, Texas, it's a college town, uh, and like most college towns, on the weekends it, it gets busy, but probably the busiest weekend of the year is Parents Weekend. And if you've been here in Boone, when App was having Parents Weekend, and there's parents everywhere, if you try to go to Walmart or go to a restaurant, you know it just doubles in size. And College Station is about twice the size. The college there is about twice the size uh, of App. So you've got twice as many parents, twice as many students. And so it was always jam-packed. And every year on Parents Weekend, one of the bars, which was uh, a famous bar, been there about 100 years, it was a restaurant, restaurant bar that, uh, you know, you could go and eat some things. But it was a bar, and it was known as a bar, and it was famous. But it was right across the street from campus. And every Parent Weekend, they would put a big banner across the front of this bar restaurant that would say, bring your parents on Saturday, we will pretend we don't know you. Which I got a good laugh. Everybody laughed, and, and it was a great, and you know, and it, it drew people in. Until a couple of years after they had been doing this, one of the churches that was just three buildings down from this, this bar restaurant put their own banner up. So you had, the, the chicken was the name of the restaurant, so you had the chicken that said, bring your uh, parents on Saturday, we'll pretend we don't know you. Well, this church put up a big banner that looked exactly like it that said, bring your parents on Sunday, we will pretend we do. Amen. Pretty smart, huh? You see, I think on Parent Weekend, there is a lot of pretending going on, uh, whether it be studying or where you spend your weekends. Uh, but in reality, if we had to be honest, there, there seems to be a lot of pretending going on in our culture and our society today. We have politicians that pretend to care about what we like or what we need or what we would like to see happen. They're, they're all so concerned about us until they get our vote and then they get to Washington or they get to Raleigh and then what we needed or what we wanted doesn't really matter anymore. It was all just pretend. Some of us have co-workers, neighbors, or fellow students that pretend to be our friends, that, that act like they want to be our friends as long as it suits their purposes, as long as it, it meets their needs. But the moment they don't have a need anymore, they were only pretending. They're no longer your friend. The TV stations and the magazines and the Internet is filled with businesses, companies that promise you the world, that tell you, they can do all sorts of things. They can meet every need that you have. But once you get their product and it doesn't meet the need that they promised it would meet, they're nowhere to be found. It was just pretend. I love these investigative reporters that they have on some of the local television stations that will go to some of these companies that made promises and they're not backing up their promises and people are having difficulty with them. Have you ever seen these? And uh, this investigative reporter will go to the business that's been giving this person a hard time and they'll bring the cameras in and they'll bring the microphone in. And it's always funny that these people will testify. I've been trying to get my money back for two years and nobody will call and it's just been a mess. And they lay this whole case out. And then the guy comes up and he knocks on the door and he's got a camera and a, a microphone and these these businesses are like, we, we want to work with them. We'll give them whatever they want. Because it was all just pretend. I mean, what, what company do you want to be a part of? The company that only does the right thing when a camera is on or the company that does the right thing when no one is watching them, when they get no recognition? You see, the sad thing is, is not only that a part of our culture, but it's a reality in the church. I shouldn't say it's reality in the church. I should say it's always been a part of the church. Because we've been studying in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is really comparing and contrasting his new righteousness with the righteousness of the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. 
And the Pharisees were known for their huge displays of spirituality. Pharisees were known for putting on these these huge acts in front of everyone so people would see how spiritual they were or how important they were, when in reality they had corrupted hearts. It was just a big show for them. Now, I know you say, Pastor, the Pharisees, those are, those are the bad guys, right? Those are the people that, that, that are always doing the wrong thing. Surely, committed, devoted followers of Jesus Christ would never fall into that trap. One of the very first stories we have of the earliest church, the first church that was founded. In Acts chapter 5, it tells about a couple that got wrapped up in the emotion of the services, got wrapped up in all that God's doing. In Acts chapter 4, 25, it tells us that you know, people were coming together in unity and they were selling all of their stuff and they were not claiming possessions but giving to those in need and they were feeding those that were hungry and they were closing those that were needing clothes and bringing shelter to those who were homeless. And it said God added to them daily. And So this couple got really excited about what God was doing and they wanted to be a part of it. So they went out and sold some land with the intention of taking the money from that land and giving it to God. But they decided to keep a little bit back for themselves. And not that there's anything wrong with that. See, it wasn't wrong to keep some back for themselves. What was wrong is then they went to Peter and the rest of the church and they said, look, we sold this piece of land and we want to give you everything we got from it. That's where it became wrong. You see what they decided out of their devotion to God and this desire to want to sell and and give to those in need, they still wanted recognition that wasn't deserved of them. See, they wanted to seem like they made a big sacrifice when in reality it wasn't that big of a sacrifice at all. And so they came and said, here is all that we've got. And Peter looked at them and said, is this everything? And they said, yes, it is. And the Bible says instantly God struck them dead. I don't tell you that story to scare you. I don't tell you that to to frighten you about how God reacts to those who pretend. I wanted to tell you that story to reinforce what we've been studying from the Sermon on the Mount, to reinforce what Jesus has been telling us. Jesus has been teaching us that those who claim the name Jesus Christ, those who are followers of Christ, are called to a higher standard. You see, for the Pharisees, it might have been okay just to do righteous acts. But now Jesus says, for those who choose to follow him, your standard is the heart that leads you to do the act. See, now God is not just concerned with what you do. God is concerned with why you do it. Because for the believer, real change takes place in the heart. Because you see, you can come to church and do all the right things, all the things in the Bible that it says that we're supposed to do to be good people. But that won't change your heart. And eventually that will go away. Eventually you'll grow disillusioned. But when your heart's been changed, when God touches you and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and live out of you, it changes everything. And it begins to change the motives on why you do what you do. As I said earlier, Jesus was calling us to grow up, and now as he calls us to grow up, he is going to examine the very elements that we use to become spiritually mature. But not just examine those elements that we become mature by doing or by by seeking. He's going to examine why we pursue those elements. And he's going to give a very dire warning. And I want you to listen to me this morning. This is a warning for every 
person in this room that claims the name Jesus Christ. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or five minutes, this is a warning because it it is so dangerous and it is so uh, stealing of what God has promised us. And I see it happen in Christians' lives day in and day out, and I see it happening in churches all over our country. And it's robbing the church of its power and its purpose, and it's robbing Christians of their joy. So Jesus says, be careful. Look at this warning in chapter 6, verse 1. Now, have you turned there, and you can see it in your order of service, and I've given you the Message Bible translations, which pretty much spells it out pretty clearly what he's trying to say, but I want to unpack it for us this morning. Uh, but in chapter 6, if you're following along with us, you can look, and Jesus is going to spend the next 20 verses taking three of those elements, three of those things that, that we do as Christians, that we do to help us become better Christians, that we do as an expression of our Christianity, that we do to, out of devotion to God. He's going to examine those three things and talk about how we lose our motives or how our motives for doing those things become corrupt. He's going to talk about giving, uh, giving to the church, giving to those in need. He's going to talk about prayer, and that's where we have the Lord's Prayer that so many people know and memorize. And then he's going to talk about fasting. And what fasting means. Now, as he examines each one of these, he's going to examine the wrong way that we get trapped into it and then the way that this new righteousness calls us to. And next week, I'm going to look at all three of those, all 20 verses in one time. But this morning, I just wanted you to see verse 1 and the power of the warning. Because before we can start talking about why we do these things, we need to understand the heart behind our motivation. We need to understand what he is calling us to. So I'm just going to read verse 1, and we're going to stay there this morning. He says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. For if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now you understand in the Bible there are no chapter breaks. There were no in the original text. There's no chapter breaks. It, it doesn't, you know, there wasn't a pause. There wasn't a lunch break or a coffee break in his sermon. You know, go and grab some donuts. I'll come back in chapter 6 when you get back. He just kept going. So what he's saying here in chapter 6 links to what he's saying in chapter 5. What did he say at the end of chapter 5? Grow into maturity. You need to be growing. You need to stop being in the same place. So many Christians stay content and lazy with where they are in Christ. We compare ourselves to people around us. I'm better than him and I'm better than her, so I must be doing okay. God is not going to hold you to the standard of comparing yourself to me. When we stand before God, what I read there in 1 Corinthians, when we stand before God and he looks at everything that we've done, he's not going to say, Rusty, this is Franklin Graham. We're going to compare the two of you and see how you match up. He's not going to look at you and go, hey, I'm going to put you next to your pastor and we're going to look and see what you've done and what he's done. Nobody's going to do is say, look, I'm going to look at everything I gave you, all of the gifts I gave you, all of the opportunities I gave you, all of the the times that I gave you to shine, and we're going to look and see what you did with them. We're going to look and see how much you used what I really gave you for my glory instead of your glory. And so Jesus is saying, listen, as you do these things and and you want to grow and you pursue growing, be careful. And he starts out with this, beware is what the King James Version says. Be very careful. And the word there in the Greek is in the present tense imperative, which should be an exclamation mark. It means, wake up, be on your guard. 
As you commit yourself, last week at the end of the service, some of you committed yourself to say, listen, this year, 2017, I'm going to grow. I'm going to pursue God with everything that I have. I'm going to make God first in my life. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit reign in everything that I do. Jesus follows up that commitment by saying, but be careful. And the warning here, the way he implies it, implies that it's very easy to fall into this trap that he's about to warn us about can happen to anybody saying be on your guard be on your guard not to do your acts of righteousness and the acts of righteousness he's talking about there what we got from back in chapter 5 verse 20 that's this new motivation to serve God and he he's talking about the three things he's going to list fasting prayer and giving but he's also talking about anything we do out of devotion for God See, this new acts of righteousness that he's calling us to, he's saying, listen, be careful that when you do these acts of righteousness, pray, read your Bible, come to church, serve as a small group leader, lead a Bible study, uh, sing a solo, sing a special, join the choir, be on the worship team, help in ushering, whatever it is that you're doing, serving in one of our ministries, going out and just praying for people, telling people that you love them, ministering to them, whatever you do, be very careful. Why? Do not do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Now that makes it sound like he's saying that we're only supposed to do these acts of righteousness in private. That's not what he means. Because many of those things that I just listed, those acts of righteousness, really are done in public. You can't, can't sing a solo in private. I do because that's the only place it's allowed. But, but you know, you can't come up and, and sing choir specials in private or preach a sermon or teach a small group or, or work in one of these ministries in private. That's not what he's talking about. You see, the key part of that phrase is to be seen by them. You see, he's talking about your motive. He's saying be careful to check your motives why you are doing what you do when you do these things, when you lead, when you teach, when you pray, when you study your Bible. The phrase there, to be seen by them, is the Greek word thetanos. And thetanos is the root word from where we get theater in our language. So he's saying, be very careful that when you do these things, that you are not just playing a role, that you're not just doing what is expected, that you're not just doing it because everybody else is doing it, that you're not just doing it because that's what we do when we come to church or when we say we're Christians. And he's also saying, be very careful, be diligent against guarding and doing these things for recognition of others as a show so that other people will look at you and think spiritual things about you, to be noticed so others can see what we do and, and, and be praised by it. Really, if you wanted to turn the question around, you could ask yourself, am I doing these things to be seen by men, to be recognized by men, or am I doing these things for the glory of God? Title of this message, is it for show or is it to grow? Now notice he didn't say if you do these things, because it's not a question. You are called to use the gifts that God has given you for His glory. It's not a question where to read our Bibles and pray and fast and give and seek His heart and serve in ministry. But what He is warning us is that when we do those things, we need to check our heart because it's so easy, Jesus knew, for us to slip 
and fall into this trap. For a committed, devoted follower of Christ to slip into this. Why? Because Jesus knows every one of us in this room struggle with the approval of others. All of us want to be liked. All of us want people to think good things about us. All of us want to have a good reputation. All of us want people to think of us in our best light. We want people to approve of us. And there is nothing wrong with that. As long as it doesn't cause us to compromise our values, our beliefs, and our devotion to Christ. See, it kills me today to watch Christians. Christians willing to compromise their beliefs. Christians willing to compromise their value in their behavior to get the approval of people that are so fickle, they like you today and they don't like you tomorrow. See, we're willing to take the things that we value and that we treasure and, and ditch them or hide them so that people that really, Jesus says, will never really like us will approve of us. When all along you have a holy, righteous God that not only accepts you just the way you are and approves of you, but He loves you unconditionally. And we forget all that and we do these things that, that we are seeking God's righteousness and we turn around to see if men and women will approve of what we do. We compromise. We're willing to sacrifice all that God's done for a world that makes promises it can never keep and will make you even more empty when it's done with you. And with so many Christians living a life like that, it shouldn't surprise us that our nation is filled with churches that are doing the same thing. Churches that are willing to compromise their beliefs. Churches that are willing to compromise their values. Churches that are willing to compromise their standard. Churches that are willing to even be silent on the truth of the Word of God so society will like them. You say, oh, we're going to tone down our preaching. We're going to change what we believe so we can fit in. Some think if we just remain silent, then somehow we'll be accepted by the world. But the Bible teaches us that silence is as complicit as compromise. Paul says this in Galatians 1, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or the approval of God? Am I trying to please men? Because if I was trying to please men, I could not be a servant of God. You see, he's warning us. He's saying, listen, be very careful. Because it can not only hinder, it can destroy your Christian maturity and your witness when we allow this kind of motivation to seep in, to creep in, and to corrupt us. Now listen, I understand most of us start out with the best of intentions. Most people in church don't do things so that other people will see. That's never our start. We don't give and write a check so that others will look at us and pat us on the back. We don't serve in a small group so our name can be in the bulletin. We don't sing a special so that people will applause us and think, that's not the way we start out. But what happens over time, if we're not careful, if we don't guard our heart, if we don't seek God's face in everything that we do, that desire for approval, that desire for recognition will creep in. Some of us, we commit to do something for God, whatever it is that we commit to do, serving or singing or leading or teaching or just being who God's called us to be. And, and all at once we get that first applause or someone recognizes us. Get our name on a plaque. Get patted on the back and it feeds our flesh. 
And the recognition and applause begins to take over in our devotion. And before we know it, that recognition and that applause and what other people think all of a sudden becomes the motivating factor of our actions. And if you want to know if that's a reality, well, ask yourself how many times you do things and look around to see who's watching. I mean, let's just be honest. Jesus is saying, listen, it's not only dangerous in how we interact with one another, it's dangerous in how we seek God's face. Because over time, without knowing, without even recognizing it, what we once did for God's glory, we now do for the approval of men. It now becomes about our glory. And please hear me, there's nothing wrong with applauding people. We need to do it more. Nothing wrong with telling people, great job. Nothing wrong with going up and telling someone, that was a wonderful song, that was a wonderful message, that wonderful preparation. My kids got so much out of your teaching. The Bible's not warning here for those that are giving recognition. It's warning when we receive it. Because you see, the danger comes when people begin to tell us how great we are. Because the more people tell us how great we are, the more we forget that it's not really about us, and it's about how great He is. You see, Jesus is so adamant here. He's saying, keep up your guard, because it can happen to any one of us. Paul said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Listen, it can happen to all of us. Pastors and worship leaders and people that are on the platform, we war against this all the time. It is an everyday fight for those of us that, that stand up in front of you. Because I want you to like my sermons. We want you to like the songs. We want you to like the service. We want you to come and feel warm and have an experience with God. But we can't do that at the expense of being obedient to God or the expense of Him leading in this church. See, listen, it's easy. when people are always telling you how great you are, how wonderful that song was, how much it moved them, it's easy to start listening. When people come and tell you, you're the greatest preschool teacher there ever was. I wish you would have been my teacher when, when I was in preschool. Or, or, man, when you pray, it's like heaven opens up. And, and you hear that, and you hear that, and you hear that. If you're not careful, it begins to creep in. That flesh begins to long. Pastor and author John Orderberg said this, I know I'm supposed to be humble, but what happens if no one notices? Now listen, I'm not saying don't encourage me or people or teachers or leaders, because we need it. I love hearing what God's doing in your heart. But let me just give you a hint on how you can help that person be encouraged, but also give glory to God. When God, you, God moves because you see somebody living right. When God moves in your heart through a song, like that song a moment ago, or through the worship service, what a wonderful, blessed chorus and, and hymns that we were singing. It was so wonderful to hear the whole church proclaim those truths. And God may be moved in your heart, and you want to come and tell, man, that was awesome. Thank you for doing that. Instead of focusing on what I said, or what we sang, or what we did, or what they did, focus on what God taught you or led you through what we did. See, instead of coming and saying, Rusty, that was an awesome, wonderful sermon, and you're the greatest preacher in the world. You can still say that, okay? I'm not saying don't. (laughs) But always add afterwards. Really, add instead, because I have the same problem. 
Say, Pastor, I just want you to know, while you were teaching, God really spoke to my heart. While you were singing that song, God really moved me. While we were worshiping, the Holy Spirit really began to move. While I was in that ministry and I saw you humbly love somebody that everyone else rejected, and you went over there and you showed them love and you reached out and you helped them, God began to speak to me through your actions. Because you see, what that does is it reminds us that I'm really just an empty vessel. And you're just an empty vessel. I don't bring anything to the table. I don't change hearts. I don't change lives. He does. And by you saying that, it reminds me who's really in charge. It encourages me, but it keeps my focus on what it should be on. God gets the glory, but it also reinforces to those people that they are simply an instrument. We have to pray. I pray all the time for God to hide me in the cross, that that God would shine and I can get out of the way. That brings us to the last part of verse 1. I'm almost done. Hang in there. I hope this is good stuff for you. Look at how he ends verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness. Be careful. Be, Be on alert. Be guarding your heart. Be watching your heart. Because when you pray and you sing and you lead and you give and you fast, that you don't do it for the man's approval. You don't do it so people will think you're spiritual. You don't do it because that's what everybody else is doing or that's what's expected when you come to church. Because if you do that, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, when we talk about rewards in heaven, we're talking about two things. Really, when we talk about rewards, we're talking about heavenly rewards and earthly rewards. And when you talk about heavenly rewards, there's a lot of debate over really what that looks like. Now, most people understand that the Bible says every one of us is going to stand in judgment before God. And I'm not talking about heaven or hell. After we go through that judgment, we will stand and all of our actions will be weighed. What I was explaining earlier, everything we've done will will, will be before God. And it's not a matter of your sin, because your sin is forgiven. You know, I told you when I was a kid, I used to think we were going to be like standing before God, and he was going to go back and look at all of our sin, and it's going to be on some big screen, and, you know, my grandmother was going to be there. You know, that doesn't sound like fun to me. It's not. The moment you ask God to forgive your sin, it's gone, east to west. It's not going to bring it up. But when we stand before God, He's going to say, listen, I gave you an incredible voice. I gave you incredible talent to to share God's Word. I gave you incredible compassion to love others that were unlovable. I gave you a mind that was so clear to be able to help take people that were struggling with finances and make it clearer. I gave you this incredible gift. What did you do with it? Let's look. So it's pretty clear that he's going to take all of those things and he's going to weigh them and he's going to measure them. But what's not clear is what does the treasure look like? What does the reward look like? Some people say it's, you're going to get a crown. I've heard people sing, you'll get a jewel in your crown in heaven. But see, I really struggle with that because I don't know if I care about a crown the moment I see Jesus face to face. Once Jesus says, well done, once he looks at my stuff and and I'm embarrassed at all the things that I thought I did that were for him, and he said, no, 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 
Don't you remember, Rusty, when you went out and you were at the grocery store and, and no one was around and somebody was standing there and said, listen, I'm really struggling. Can you give me some money? And, and you reached in your pocket and you gave them money. Praise the Lord. You didn't want any recognition. You didn't want anything. That was gold. That was silver. That was out of compassion. But then you went back to the church and you said, man, there was this guy at the grocery store. Had to help him. All I had was a 20. I did it. All of a sudden, that just went, shh. I said, God, I didn't know. That's why Jesus says, be careful. Beware. Revelations, I believe, tells us that once we get these heavenly rewards, that when we stand around the throne of God, we're really just going to throw them at his feet. So don't get so wrapped up into what you're going to get in heaven. I know so many people are so focused on getting heavenly rewards, they forget about all the rewards we get here on earth. Because see, that's what I believe Jesus is talking about. He says, listen, when your motivation is wrong and you do the right things for the wrong reasons, you lose the benefit of why you did it. Because you see, all those spiritual acts of righteousness, prayer, giving, fasting, serving, teaching, singing, helping, ministering, all of those things help us Discover more about Jesus. You see, the more I give, the more I recognize that God provides. The more I get out of the way and God speaks through me, the more I recognize how insignificant I am to be a part of His kingdom. The more, the more I, I, I read the Word of God and I discover more about God's love and God's grace, People talk about peace that passes understanding, and I never really understood it until I got in a situation where I had to experience it. And I studied, and all of a sudden that peace came over me, and I said, that's God. You see, those are all the rewards for doing the things that God asks us to do. But when you fall into this trap of worrying about what other people think, those rewards are gone. When you give so other people can see you give and because it makes you feel good about yourself and you hope it makes people think you're something spiritual, the reward you got was people knowing that you gave. When you do what you do and, and people applaud you and that's the main reason you did it, you walk out feeling so good because everybody was applauding, Jesus is saying the only reward you got from that was that applause. Not because they applauded, but because that corrupted your heart. He said, be careful. And the second reward for doing the things that God calls us to, not only does it unlock the keys to who God is, but the greatest reward is you and I get to be a part of what He's doing here on earth. Now, I don't want to underscore that because I think that's the greatest reward apart from salvation that Christians can have. You understand that God lets you, He lets me. Man, if you really knew me, if you knew my story, if you knew my history, if you knew where I came from, you knew how much I struggle. But yet God lets me be a part of touching people's lives for eternity. How incredible is that? That's the greatest reward. God lets you be the hands and the feet and the voice of His ministry here on this earth there's no greater reward but the moment we settle for what 
men offer. The moment we make it routine, the moment it becomes a ritual, is the moment we stop benefiting. So I used to tell my teenagers when I was a youth pastor, it would be like being in the World Series in the bottom of the ninth and your team is down three and, and, and Jesus comes to bat. And Jesus gets up and he, everybody thinks the game's over. People are leaving. Some of them already left a couple innings earlier. And Jesus gets up and he lines a grand slam straight over the center field fence. Jesus did it. He won. And he begins to run around the bases and he gets to second base. And as he's rounding second, he looks to third. He looks up in the stands and he points to me. And you look around and go, not me. Why would you point at me? It's you. Come here. Run the bases for me. So I didn't hit the home run. I don't get the glory for it. But he lets me be a part of the victory. That's the greatest reward. That's what should motivate your heart. That's what should challenge you. That's what should drive you. That we get to be a part of his kingdom. That we get to serve him that we get to give him glory. Jesus asked the question, is it for show or is it to grow? Think about all the things you did this week. Think about all the spiritual things you did this week. Coming to church this morning, singing these songs, worshiping, praying, giving an offering. What you did out in your workplace, in your friendships, reading your Bible, your prayer life. Think about all those things. Did you do those things out of a desire to experience and serve God, to grow spiritually? Or was it just because that's what you've always done? Just going through the motions. It's where you are on Sunday. It's what we do when we come in this place. It's what's expected of me. The question this morning is, would you be willing to ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart? Because see, listen, I'm just a man. I don't know why you do what you do, but God does. And while you may can fool me and fool everyone around you, what good does that do? What can you fooling me bring to the table? But you can't fool God. He looks at your heart. He looks at your motivation. Would you be willing this morning to say, look, God, here's all I've done. Search my motives. That's what David said, search me. Every little part of it. And then once you ask him to do that, would you be willing to be honest with what he shows you? Because see, here's what's going to happen. He's going to begin to show you little areas of danger where you're creeping into the danger zone. And you know what you're going to do in your mind? You're going to start rationalizing. But God, I can't help it. They clap so loud. God, I can't help it. I didn't want anybody to know it. It just got out. God just said, I'm not worried about that. Search your heart. Search your motives. Why is it important? Because when we allow the world to corrupt our motives, to corrupt why we do what we do, it robs us of giving God glory for everything that we do. And in turn it robs you of the joy and the passion and the power that God has promised in your life.
Search me and know me, God. Let's pray.